0: But God did something greater for both of these men on both of these days. God met them in these moments of obedience that defy common sense with the eternal peace of Christ, not like this world or not as this world can give, but to allow them to show the life of courage and confidence of Christ as they stood toe-to-toe and face-to-face with sin's greatest weapon,
1: death. Welcome to this week's episode of the His Hill Podcast. My name is Kelly Darty, and I'm your host. Today we begin a new series led by one of our resident teachers, Connor Patterson. Connor and I share a love for church history. So when I asked him to give a devotion for this week's episode, I was excited when he asked if he could lead in a series of lessons by which we learn from those who have gone on before us and have fleshed out through various circumstances what it means to live by faith in Christ. And so this is the first of what I hope to be many episodes from church history. We'll post them from time to time. Don't forget to hang around after the devotion for a few announcements.
0: Hello everybody, this is Connor Patterson I wanted to start by giving a little bit of a preface about something that we were thinking about doing for the podcast going forward, trying something new, if you will. And if you know us, then you know how much we love change. Uh, but Kelly and I were brainstorming uh, this week and we were thinking about this podcast and, and there was an idea that I thought would be a fun idea to try out. Um, and that was stringing together some uh, some podcasts. Uh, having a little bit of a theme as I come on and do different podcasts and share with you guys um, because we realize the majority of alumni have come here for our first year, but but it's really the super Christians who stayed for the second year. Um, and with that second year program, we we do do different topics and and, and classes that the first years don't always get to be um, a part of. And and one of those is is church history. And I love history. Uh, Kelly was the one that taught me church history during my second year, which just really propelled that love um, even to a greater extent. And so, with both of us loving history as much as we do and, and, and really understanding that there is nothing new under the sun, um, the, the age old phrase that history repeats itself, I thought how timely for us just to walk through a couple of church history examples, some real life people who have faced things that we are facing today just in a, in a different culture, in a, in a different time, and realizing the faithfulness and the goodness of God, even in the midst of that then, and we can take part in that here for us today. Uh, so we're excited to, um, to try this out, to, to start with this. Um, so with that being said, uh, I'd like just to dive uh, right in. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says, it is appointed for man to die once. And one of the questions I pose to uh, the second years and, and also the, the first years that I teach over at, at Ravencrest when I go through this course um, is is really a, a statement at first, and that is, death is not a question of if. Death is a reality. Rather, the question is, when and how will we die? Now, in that question, there's there's two parts to it, and the first part of that, the, the when, is unknown to us and it will always be unknown to us, but it is known by our perfect heavenly father on his timetable. The second part of that question is the how, and that can be known to us. And and more than that, partially is, is even our responsibility. Uh, it's, it's a part of our spiritual service even potentially of our worship unto the Lord through the great grace and, and the presence of Christ in us. And so that's really what I wanted to look at today is how, that we, how how is that we can live well, but facing sin's greatest weapon in death, how can we also then die? Well, and die in a, in a way, or live in a way that is that is pleasing in the sight of God. Uh, one Roman officer that has been recorded in history once said, "It is not a matter if Christians die, for they die plenty. But what I have not seen before is men and women that die so well." And that quote has always struck me that there is a difference and it was a notable difference for for a secular and a pagan culture to see how these men and women were dying. And I think that's interesting. The word that he said there was that they're dying well. So what does it look like to die well? How can we live to die well in the sight of God? I want to turn the pages of time backward to two men, relatively well-known in early church history world. Uh, the first is a man named Ignatius of Antioch, which is in modern day Syria. And the second is uh, one of Kelly and I's personal favorites, Polycarp of Smyrna, which is in modern day Turkey. There's a lot of similarities between these men um, and some differences. I just want to highlight as, a, as we walk through uh, their story. Uh, both of these men were early church leaders in their communities and in their local churches both of these men grew up living in a Roman culture that was filled with persecution toward the early church. Uh, one person, uh, wrote just as a way of background into that, the Roman culture that Polycarp, that Ignatius lived in and and really the, the same kind of culture that Jesus walked in is that this was a dark, a brutal culture where, where life was truly cheap. Um, there was rampant uh, polytheism throughout the land it was it was not only preached but idol worship was the law. Uh, prostitution in the temple was legalized and promoted and you had before you in the Caesar a, a living deity who was to be worshiped and and revered as a god. Um, and so there was no freedom of worship. it was the Roman way or the highway uh, literally in, in the Roman roads that were that were built there or it was death uh polygamy was not abnormal but was normal especially within the leadership was, was especially within the hierarchy of of the culture incest was not uncommon it was even promoted as natural and no matter if that was you know whatever, whatever gender you might have been uh it it was very common um, to have these incestuous relationships multiple relationships um uh, homosexuality was was not even questioned in this culture and abortion. We see it today and our, our, our hearts mourn uh, for this reality um, today. And and it was not even fought in the courts. I mean, it was just accepted. There was commonly known fields where if you did not want your baby post labor that you could bring them to and leave them there in the field to die. And they, they designated these certain fields um, that was away from the city so that you would not be bothering your neighbors. Right? And that, that was the extent of the, of the culture that, was, that Jesus walked in, that Polycarp, Paul, Peter, the early church walked in. Uh, you know, just as even a, a side note there, it was, it was Christians that began going to those fields where those children were and picking up those children that were left behind and creating different homes in which today we call orphanages. But that's the world, that was the culture uh, that was present at this time. And I mentioned persecutions, that there were many persecutions happening uh, throughout the Roman empire, especially unto uh, Christians that were oftentimes used as the scapegoat for all the problems that were coming into Rome, politically, economically, uh, physically, it was all just cast on to this new way that they call Christians. One uh, Roman historian, Tactius wrote, he said, in Rome, an immense multitude was convicted and put to death by being made to serve as objects of amusement. They were clad in the hides of beasts and torn to pieces by wild dogs. Some were crucified. Others were set on fire to serve to illuminate the night when the daylight failed. And we know in that last part, when he mentioned that some were crucified, uh, we know from history, Peter and Paul were both uh, men in Rome uh, who gave their lives in that specific way. So these were perse- uh, persecutions that were real and a culture that was dark. And as I said, it was honestly just brutal time to live in as the early church. Both of these men were taken into custody for the exaltation of Christ as their life by this Roman culture. Um, We we also know historically that that these two men knew each other. Uh, Polycarp, being a disciple of the Apostle John, early in his life made various trips to other churches, and he had met then a slightly older Ignatius, uh, who who was there in Antioch. And then as Ignatius is taken into custody and on his way to the Roman Colosseum, Polycarp makes a special trip to visit him in his uh, imprisonment, in his house imprisonment there, and encourage him before he goes and, uh, and is there before the, uh, the Colosseum. So both these men knew each other, uh, encourage each other, and in that, they both knew the cost of following Christ. They knew what it meant. There was the line drawn in the sand. They had crossed it and they knew that Jesus was worth their greatest gift, which was their life. In John 12, 24, Jesus says this word before he goes and speaks to the disciples in his, his last upper room discourse um, time with them. And he says, truly, truly, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loses, I'm sorry, he who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. At the Roman Colosseum, uh, Ignatius is is given one final word. It's what we still practice um, in the states with the with the death penalty. We we give one final um, proclamation, whatever you want to say, your last words, uh, as long as as well as a last meal. And for Ignatius, he picks up on the words of Jesus here and his quote of all the things to say before your demise before your death. What's the, what's the last thing you want to leave this world saying, you know, you can even say your epitaph here um, before your captors who have taken you unjustly before the audience of the Colosseum, thousands upon thousands of people silent to hear your words, but ultimately your last words before the Lord, he chooses to say this. I am God's grain to be ground between the teeth of wild beasts so that I may be offered as a pure bread unto the Lord. And not only does that echo the words and kind of give a fuller even picture of John chapter 12, but that also embodies the attitude in the life of Christ. In the garden, not my will, but yours be done. That this isn't my life. My life is Christ. And if that means death, or if that means life, then may Christ be exalted in either. It's really the words of Philippians 1, 20 through 21, when Paul writes and says, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I will not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ will even now, as always, be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is. Is gain that that to me is, is is one of the most ludicrous statements in um, the the Bible and in the New Testament um, that he has that kind of perspective on his life, but also on his death. Uh, it is it is what we fear so often the most, and yet Ignatius, in the face of death, standing toe to toe with death, says. May Christ be exalted in my life or my death. This is just another act of obedience for him. That day at the Roman Colosseum, before these men, before these captors, before this audience, before the Lord, Ignatius entered into the joy of his master, absent from the body and present with the Lord that day. And it makes me think of of a quote of of Jim Elliott, also a a martyr, more more close to home in in, in terms of of time, uh, but before his departure from this world and into the uh, intimate presence of Christ, uh, he wrote, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. And that perspective of our life, but also our death, excites me. And I, I wanted when I was even thinking about just this, this, this podcast and, and this devotion. Now, yeah, what I don't want to sound is talking about death and and persecution and, and hatred. I don't want to sound nihilistic. I don't want to sh- sound uh, pessimistic. Um, you know, just I don't want to sound de- outright de- depressing about it. No, rather, I I hope this brings us life. I hope this brings us encouragement that the greatest weapon that sin has is can be faced confidently it can be faced boldly it it can be faced with courage not because i am naturally courageous or ignatius was naturally a confident person but because of who christ is and because he knew him intimately is what paul says in second timothy chapter 1 verse 12 that i am convinced that that he who guards what I've entrusted to him will keep it until that day. I have come to know him and I have become convinced of this, that Jesus is not just a a theory. He knows him. And in this personal relationship and in this intimacy with Christ, this is why he can supernaturally lay his life down out of obedience, not with complaining, not with uh, disputing, but with joy to say, if this is what Jesus is asking of me, then may it be done. Not my will, but yours be done. When I, when I go through this class, um, one of the things that, that stands out to me, you know, with, with men like this and women like this throughout the early church is, is tempting in our in our world to say something like this. So it's a phrase maybe maybe we say or, or maybe you've heard said, man, those people must have been on fire or those people were radical Christians. And I would like to actually to, to pause and to to counter that and to say, I don't think there was anything radical about this. I think this was normal. I think this is the very life that Jesus displayed for us. This is, this is not a radical Christian life. This is a nor, This should be the normal Christian life that this is not just a, a crazy act of obedience. This was a simple act of obedience for him because of the intimacy in relationship he had with the Lord. We look at it from the outside and says, Whoa, that looks radical. Whoa, that looks crazy. But for these men, I'm convinced this was just another opportunity to say, Jesus, I trust you. Now, the other man, Polycarp, was known as the beloved and kind bishop and standing before his tribunal and the stake that accused and and mocked him said for his final words in the auditorium that was there in Smyrna, he um, said at the very end of his life, 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How then can I blaspheme my king, the Romans. If, if if there was one nice thing to say about them is that they really did not want to put to death an old man, and that was kind of them to, to consider this man as you as you heard, eighty six years old when he is taken into custody before the Romans. Uh, he is known throughout the community as as the beloved and kind bishop. Uh, they did not want to kill this man, but they wanted to make a statement out of him. They wanted to use him. Um, really as an uh, as an emotional plug here that not even this man can stand before caesar not even this man can go off and and proclaim what he's been proclaiming about christ in you know in defiance of the emperor and so if they could get this man to renounce his love and renounce his obedience and, and re- renounce his commitment to Christ and to offer incense to Caesar. And this would have spoken volumes for those who knew him, the church and the community there. And I think Polycarp knew that. I think as on, in his final words, in this act of obedience unto the Lord, that he also realized this is an action that is being done, that is going to be seen by others and can be carried forward. Would those people forgive him I'm sure they would have. Would, you know, would would someone say, man, I understand you were in a tough spot there. I'm sure people would have said that, but greater than that, he said, what I want to leave this world knowing is Christ. And I want people to know him in the same way that I know him. So he, after saying these words, and leaving the Romans with really no option but to execute him by burning him on the stake, he walks, he initiates this walk to the stage, to the stake, turning to the officers and says to them, don't bring the ropes because I'm not running. And, and that is a confidence that to me speaks volumes in the face of the fear Of death. You know, death was a reality for both of these men. They both died those days. God did not save them from the teeth of wild beasts nor the fire of the stake. But God did something greater for both of these men on both of these days. God met them in these moments of obedience that defy common sense. With the eternal peace of Christ, not like this world or not as this world can give, but to allow them to show the life of courage and confidence of Christ as they stood toe to toe and face to face with sin's greatest weapon, death. And we might be tempted to look back and to say, but it looks like death won. It looks like these men were defeated. It looks like the enemy triumphed. They died." But the cross speaks a better story and a more true story. As one man later in history named Athanasius will say, the cross is the glorious defeat of death. It is death's glorious defeat. These men were not men to be pitied because they knew a risen savior. They knew their redeemer. They were more than conquerors in their death by the life that Christ gave and has put in them, the very life of Christ. In Christ, 1 Corinthians says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, death, where is your victory? And I think it's important to mention that at this time, not only were these men pleasing to the Lord in their obedience, in faith, as obedience always is unto the Lord. But the blood of these men and the blood of the the many men and women of the early church in history became the seed of the church, that there was a testimony, that there was a witness that was left. Now, I know Christians are, are, are not the only faith to have martyrs. You know, there's another major world religion out there that's very notable for, for martyrs. And this isn't a, a podcast on on world religions, but I I just would encourage you to think about what are, what are the biggest differences between the martyrdom in, in of Islam and and the martyrs of that of the Christian faith, and and just to leave you with with one thought is that these men did not lay their lives down for what they could get selfishly, but for what they could give, a way of saying thank you to the God who saved their souls, and many. Witnesses that were in these audiences saw these acts of obedience that defy natural common sense, and they saw the exaltation of Christ, and their hearts were changed in the process. And it makes me think of the scriptures in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12, that says, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. So if God has us to live today, may we live out of the source and the means of the life of Christ. And if God has us to move on from this earthly temporal realm, then may it be done with the joy obedience courage and confidence of christ knowing that our redeemer lives and it is the same redeemer of those of the early church i hope we take courage i hope we can take heart there's nothing new under the sun god is good god is faithful to those who trust him and god's will will be accomplished in life and in death
1: I want to thank Connor for taking the time and preparing the devotion for today's episode. We have such a wealth of history, and it would be a shame if we were to forget or not learn from it or be encouraged by it. Well, the Bible School is back to full swing after spring break, and we're down to only seven weeks until the closing banquet. So please pray that we finish well to God's glory. If you or someone you know is interested in attending camp this summer, you can register online at hishill.org or call the office at 830-995-3388. If you would like to get in touch with Connor, his email is connor at hishill.org and Connor is spelled C-O-N-N-O-R. And my address is kelly, K-E-L-L-Y at hishill.org hishill.org. Thanks for joining us, and remember, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus.